0: You know, what's the intention of the practice? What's the spirit of the practice? How can we align with that without, yeah, you know, being restrictive?
1: This is the Yoga 360 podcast, bringing you knowledge, inspiration, and resources to help you better connect with our community and live your best life featuring real stories from real people having fun conversations from the heart. If you enjoy the benefits of yoga, value your health and well-being, and enjoy connecting with others, you are in the right place. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Yoga 360 podcast. I'm Steve Cotton.
2: I'm Karen Aeney.
1: Joining Karen and I tonight is Jeff McKenzie from First Light Yoga.
2: Yeah, uh, Jeff is going to be leading a free workshop at our studio on Sunday, February 27th. So we're just going to ask him a little bit more about who he is and what he does and what we can expect.
1: Okay, really looking forward to having this conversation with Jeff. So just going to be pausing it here while he connects to us uh, via Zoom. So hang on.
2: All right. And through the magic of technology, we are back with Jeff. Hello, Jeff.
1: Good
0: afternoon. Great to meet you guys. Yeah.
2: Nice yeah thanks for joining us, Jeff. Nice to You're be you. You're so, here. so welcome. Yeah. Um, so I think we'd like to get started by just asking, uh, who are you?
0: <laughs> Gosh. All
1: right.
2: Big question. Well,
0: <laughs> big question in the yoga world. Absolutely. Um, but on a personal level, yeah, I'm Jeff McKenzie. I run First Light Yoga in Vancouver, um, formerly known as Mysore BC. Uh, we flipped, flipped brand um, about a year ago. And yeah, First Light Yoga is um, a six-day-a-week morning Ashtanga Vinyasa yoga program.
2: Sounds beautiful. And where do you guys operate in Vancouver?
0: We are on the east side of town, so we're on Fraser Street, uh, 20th Avenue. So it's right between Kensington Cedar Cottage and...
1: Whatever's the next
2: name of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good pin drop there. Yeah.
1: Razor Street, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. and, and does First Light Yoga have a website? Yes, it does. Uh, firstlightyoga.ca
2: We love easy branding. Excellent. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. you can pop out there to learn a little bit more about Jeff. But um, you mentioned that it's an Ashtanga-based, Vinyasa-based practice. Uh, I think most of our listeners aren't super familiar with the Ashtanga practice. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, where to begin? So <laughs> the Ashtanga Vinyasa practice is, yeah, it's like a, a Vinyasa Kramar or a, yeah, a Vinyasa-style method that um, was sort of reborn in the early, early 20th century in, in Mysore in India,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it is, like, in terms of its form, um, visually and physically, it's, it would be quite recognizable to, to a lot of people who've practiced any kind of flow or vinyasa yoga, and it, it's sort of actually inspired in the last few decades, you know, all these offshoots of power and power vinyasa, flow, these kind of things. But the difference with ashtanga vinyasa and all these other sort of vinyasa krama, these vinyasa step-by-step style practices is that it's a fixed syllabus, And so students learn and work their way through different series of postures as they advance with their practice. And But the main thing that stands out is that it's often called a a more traditional practice because the way in which a new student is taught the practice is very similar to how such things are learned and taught in in India itself. Basically, the, the teacher, I work with students individually to begin with, and the student is asked to commit to memorizing what they learn every step of the way Hmm. so that they can do this practice at their own pace in a self-propelled manner.
2: Super interesting. So um, most of our students are familiar with the Bikram practice, so a uh, little bit different in that, yes, it's a set sequence, but in the Bikram practice, um, we have students that have been practicing it for years and don't think they know the practice. They don't think they could name the postures in sequence, which is not true, uh, but that memorization aspect seems pretty key to the Ashtanga practice.
3: Yeah,
0: it's twofold. It, it First and foremost, it It internalizes the practice for the student yeah, on the level of memorization. But it also empowers the student right away to start to have an internal experience Mm. of yoga practice, Mm. which is what yoga is about, right? It's about us, you know, shutting off all kinds of other distractions and going inside and Mm -hmm. working with what's there. But that also means that in the beginning, we only teach simple steps, what Mm. the student has capacity for. So whereas most, let's say, fairly capable people maybe ought to walk into an average class and get their ass through the whole sorry, get their butt:
2: <laughs> It's, all it's good. already,
0: sorry. <laughs> Um Get their butt through the whole practice. can they then go away and repeat that? Mm. by themselves very unlikely they might remember what you did at the start of the class they might remember how the class ended Mm -hmm. but everything in the middle is probably going to be a bit of a blur
2: well maybe they'll remember the things they were successful at
0: oh
1: yeah good point yeah Uh (laughs) yeah little small victories right
2: yes those Mm -hmm. are the things that stick with me (laughs) so i guess that that's the same sort of thing then Uh, can you give an example of the things that you would start with in an ashtanga practice
0: yeah so The practice itself has three main elements that we pay attention to at all times. That's first one is breathing. Mm -hmm. Second one is the body position, like how are we holding ourselves? What's the movement or the position that we're trying to step into? Uh, And then the third is concentrating the mind by keeping the eyes fixed on a certain point that's relevant to the body position that you're in. Mm -hmm. So we start with that. And then that takes the first forms that that develops into is Surya Namaskara, or sun salutations. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Ashtanga practice, you have two different types of sun salutations. Uh, we call them Surya namaskar A and Surya namaskar B.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: First one is more simple. Second one becomes more complex and extended.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: A first lesson, let's say, with my introductory students would be learning sun salutation A mm-hmm. in detail, building mm-hmm. it up step by step so that they are able to repeat it without supervision, let's say by the end of a 90 minute session. Hmm. And then we would kind of go right to the other end of the practice and how everyone finishes, which is by sitting in a tall seat and basically meditating on the breathing technique that we've learned and using that as a way to sort of really come in, get still, get quiet, and then have a rest. So often often people talk about the Ashtanga practice as being like building a sandwich. It's Mm -hmm. like making a sandwich. (laughs) So your first layer of your first layer of bread sits on the bottom, and that's your sun salutations. The completing layer of bread is your sitting tall at the end in sukhasana, or padmasana, mm-hmm. and you know that's your bread and butter to begin with. That's your that's your complete practice nourishment.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then as we as we progress, we build more and more layers into the base of the sandwich. So you start with sun salute A, that's your bread. Then we add the butter of sun salute B, mm. and then we move into the posture sequences. Until the sandwich is a certain size, and then we you know cap it off with the same finishing mm-hmm. at a certain point we start to add stuff from the other end from the finishing end of the practice, and the um the ways we start to end the practice starts to become more elaborate but yeah that's that's kind of it in a nutshell
2: and and for, for a sandwich shell. Yes. And for some of our regular listeners, some of our students here, we should point out that in that analogy, the meditation is just as important as the sun salutations. <laughs> we have a lot of people that skip shavasana at the studio. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> it's yeah. important. We try and say this. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. it might have been me once or twice, just depending on how active the class was, and <laughs> whether or not I'm feeling the shavasana at the time. So...
2: Yes. Yeah, this yeah.
0: is this is the world. I'm not unfamiliar with that phenomenon either. Yeah, and <laughs> and
1: Jeff, you mentioned uh, the importance of the gaze as well, too, because we've heard that a number of times, especially in. I think it's like balancing postures and that we're we're to fix our gaze at a certain point and relevant to our position as well, too. So so it's interesting to hear you talk about that as well.
2: We talk about it a lot in the balancing postures here, but the concept expands to any posture. Uh, even in the yin, it's a it's a interesting aspect of your practice. Um, but most of the time, when we talk about it here, it is in balancing postures. But it's really for much more, Yaja. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's on it's on two levels really. Generally, it's considered that you know it, the practice is called drishti or mm-hmm. gazing, and so on the gross level, the gaze is set in a certain way so that it enhances the alignment of the posture. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's in a forward bend or downward dog, you might be trying to look into your belly button. If it's a back bend, you might be trying to look at the tip of your nose. And as you said, if it's a balance, you're looking wherever that helps you balance, usually straight ahead, you know. <laughs> but the idea is, too, is that, you know, with Drishti, we're gazing. We're not staring. We're almost sort of releasing the eyes. Mm. We're resting them at a one spot. Mm. And there's a simultaneous projecting outwards, but allowing the vision to feed back into the mind to create a sense of calm.
3: Hmm.
0: Um, and I've had I've had other teachers and students point out to me in the past that, you know, the roots of, you know, let's say the eyeballs go right, they go deep into the core of the brain, mm-hmm. like very close to the amygdala, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me, but. Uh, <laughs> and so generally, if we can calm the gaze and the eyes are not darting around searching something when the gaze is calm the mind becomes calm Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and we're kind of more while the eyes are resting in one place we're kind of diffusing the gaze to where it's kind of more peripheral vision and it as one of the great ashtanga teachers puts it uh, we become nobody special or something looking at nothing in particular
2: interesting that's lovely i like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think that's a pretty good jump in Tenga. Thank you for the background. That's lovely. Okay. <laughs> and let's expand a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, so Jeff, what brought you to your own uh, yoga practice? Back when, decades ago, <laughs> back when it was all fields around here. No, I'm kidding.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure when I first became aware of it, but somewhere back in the mid-90s, I got interested in meditation round about at the same time that I think I was first exposed to a kind of book with yoga postures in it, mm-hmm. um, which was Iyengar's light on yoga, which mm-hmm. I think is familiar to many people as an early yoga book or at mm-hmm. least 20th century yoga book. And then, yeah, shortly after that, I was, I was introduced to, I was living in France and a group of surfers that I was sort of living and camping with. One of them had some experience of yoga from his time spent in Hawaii and he offered to teach us a few basic things. And so we got into a few basic seated positions and learned some learned some ways to breathe. Yeah, some of that stuff stayed with me for, for the next couple of years until I found my next yoga class a couple of years later when I was in Bali.
2: So pretty organic and uh, it, it trickled in.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a way, definitely. But I knew once, especially once I found the regular class um, in Bali in 1998, that I I got hooked pretty quickly I was you know as I mentioned I was was pretty into surfing at the time having moved on from snowboarding a bit and when you're surfing you're really in the medium you need to know how to (laughs) keep calm when there's waves coming at you and also you know not breathe in when you're under the water getting washing machine by the waves Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I've done (laughs) done quite a bit of surfing myself too and yeah I know exactly what you're talking about yeah you got to be in the moment and yeah when you are when you are tumbling in that washing machine you just uh, just got to let it go so
0: Exactly. So an ability to be calm, to know your breath mm-hmm. uh, and to be able to, you know, manage your body well really is advantageous. And those are all things that obviously come up in a, in a good yoga practice.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. The, the appeal was instant to the point where, yeah, immediately I was I was sacrificing surfing lessons or surfing sessions to make sure I got to yoga class uh, two or three times a week. I think it was at the kind.
1: Lovely. Any uh, favorite postures that you have? Or, or postures that you find uh, the most beneficial for you?
0: Well, favorite has always been shir shasana headstand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something, you know, I'm a broad-shouldered guy, so it's, as I like to tell my students when I'm teaching them, you know, headstand is actually an arm balance with your head touching the floor.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You're not standing on your head. So I think my anatomy has given me an advantage in that pose, <laughs> and I've, it's, as such, I've always really enjoyed it. Um, and I like to spend time there every time i practice uh so yeah i think lifelong favorite right there
2: yeah i think that's a pretty common answer most of our favorite postures are ones that we are anatomic our bodies anatomically lend themselves to i think Mm -hmm. that's a common yeah yeah
1: Yeah. uh the opposite of that any ones that you don't don't really enjoy or find the least um
0: uh, well i feel like i'm old enough now that the ones i don't really enjoy i just don't do them anymore
1: (laughs) okay. okay is it chair pose
2: um
0: no, I quite like that one actually. Okay, um, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's Stephen's <no>. least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I would say I've I've never really had. I've I've always had to work hard to to twist well, mm. so they've never quite been my favorite poses. And yeah, so in the Ashtanga method, because we're quite you know there is like I said, there's this there's this fixed syllabus that basically allows for all, an almost endless path of complexity it, it's certain, you know for the students who have the aptitude for it and some of these postures teachers will be quite strict with us to make sure we we can do it in a particular way before they'll let us learn anymore mm-hmm. and some of those postures that i've had to work hard for in the past either very deep backbending poses or deep flexion and hip rotation poses mm. such as putting you know trying to put both legs behind your head and things like that I've, I've kind of been happy to let those poses go they're, they're kind of your favorites when every now and again you feel like you could do them well right, right. but I'm happy to not I'm happy to have let those go
2: <laughs> that sounds like wisdom <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah so let's let's move on a little bit. You're going to come see us on Sunday. What will you be talking about on Sunday?
0: Yeah, so next week we have um the Yogi's Day. Yes. It's uh, a talk I'm giving at the studio there. Um I believe it's 11:30 next Sunday. And the Yogi's Day is inspired by me deepening my studies in Ayurveda in the last couple of years. Ayurveda is something I've always kind of known about since my first yoga teacher training in like 2004 was when I did a YTT and I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be talking about some of the stuff that actually lies at the foundation of what most people first learn in Ayurveda. It's kind of like stuff that is, is actually so obvious in a way, or at least so I've been told by my teachers. It's so obvious to the culture where it comes from that it it gets overlooked a lot. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of revealing all that stuff.
2: That sounds amazing. So, so you mentioned Ayurveda, and, and this is a new term to some of our students. Can you expand just a little bit on what that is?
0: Absolutely, of course. Yeah, so Ayurveda is, like many Sanskrit words, it's a compound of two words. So Veda, simply translated, means science. And Ayur is often, so it's A-Y-U-R, is often most commonly translated to mean either life or longevity. Hmm. So it's the science of life or longevity. And it's considered the the sister or the sibling science to yoga.
3: Mm. You
0: know, we can say ultimately yoga is the science of the mind.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, the physical stuff that we do is just a very common vehicle to, to get us into experiencing the mind mm. and working with it. Ayurveda is the science of the body and how lifestyle and Ayurvedic medicine also can contribute to, let's say, giving us the longevity to fulfill our potential of our yoga practice. Mm,
2: Very important Uh, to a lot of us here, I think, yeah.
0: (laughs) And, you know, when people who do know about Ayurveda a little bit, the first thing that often comes to mind, and this is kind of like one of the things we're going to dispel a little bit, what gets a lot of attention in Ayurveda is what are known as the three doshas, the Mm -hmm. tridoshic theory. So everybody kind of knows, oh, I'm pitta, or I'm vata, or I'm more kapha. You know, that's often what first comes up when people talk about Ayurveda, and that's basically whether you're a fiery type, an earthy type, or an, an airy type. And that's where people's minds go to like, oh, well, I'm this, so I need to start shifting my lifestyle in this direction to come to balance. But what the bit that gets overlooked is that before we even get to working with our own constitutions and tendencies, it's worth Stepping back first and establishing a baseline of daily routine that aligns us Mm -hmm. to all three of those types and how they play out in the space of a 24-hour day.
2: Interesting. So once you establish that baseline, you're better able to recognize which you would actually... Um,
0: it's more like you're better equipped to then start working more sort of pointedly on your own personal uh, balances and imbalances. Super
2: cool, yeah. And Stephen and I were a little familiar with the practices, I think, on different levels. And uh, we we found a couple things on the Internet, the good old Google machine. Stephen, what, what did you <laughs> find out?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, um, a lot of what uh, uh, Jeff had already talked about it about there being the uh, the science of life um I, I, another definition that i found was also that it was can also be called the mother of all healing mm. as well too i don't know if you're uh, you're familiar with that no i haven't heard that one great just with the rest of the uh, google searches there and the um easy definitions of it uh, that ayurveda is uh, a healthy life uh, lifestyle system that has been practiced in india for probably the last about five thousand years Emphasizes mm-hmm. good health and treatment of illnesses through lifestyle practices, including massage, meditation, yoga, and dietary changes, along with herbal remedies.
0: Yeah. Also bad. goes all the way to surgery as well.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. They have,
0: it, it covers the full gamut of you know, everything in what we know to be medicine as well. So sure. incredibly
2: holistic then. Uh-huh, yeah. Very much so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then I also saw saw breakdowns of the uh, three doshas that, uh, that you were talking about, about there, Vata, Pita and uh, Kapha. One website that I was looking at as well, too, not sure if I have it written down here, but I will link it in our show notes as well. There had of, uh, breakdowns of each of those uh, uh, doshas with uh, kind of the personal tendencies that... People kind of had if they identify with that, and overall dietary um, requirements. I would say f- for each one, as as well too, and combinations to incorporate into your diet, but then also to avoid as well too, mm-hmm. which were kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and that's that's exactly where people kind of get hung up mm-hmm. a bit unnecessarily in their early sort of explorations with Ayurveda, and that's that's kind of the stuff that I want to steer people away from. These kind of like do's and don'ts of your Personal constitution. Mm-hmm. What we'll be exploring more in the yogi day is this understanding that so yoga and Ayurveda sisters, sibling sciences that share the same worldview. Mm. Um, they share the same sankhya worldview that that organizes the universe in a particular way. That's way beyond the scope of what we can get into here, and I'm, I'm certainly not qualified. <laughs> but um, so we'll we'll be doing a, a baseline exploration of that and how how each of those tri-doshas, those those three energies, are made up of different combinations of the five elements. You know, Mm -hmm. we have space, air, water, sorry, fire, water, and earth. And the approach we're going to be taking or looking at is that those elements combine into the doshas, and those doshas are different energy signatures that play out throughout the cycle of each 24-hour day. Mm -hmm. And that affects our because we are all made up of those same five elements mm-hmm. and our especially our digestive systems mm-hmm. and our uh, sort of hormonal systems are actually you know we've evolved to be in sync with um, the, the daily solar cycle and seasonal cycles these this is the kind of order that we want to sort of come into before we start to get to work on our individual constitutions so for example what I mean we're going to be looking at How these, uh, what times of day are these different energies more prevalent? Mm. And what is the most beneficial use of those energies at the different times of the day? Mm.
2: How to take Um, advantage uh, of,
0: yeah. Exactly. How we can, you know, we're designed to be as human bodies, we're designed, human animals, as wild beings, we are designed to be in sync with those energies. Mm -hmm. And when we come into alignment with them more clearly, our whole organism is going to come to life in a much better way. Uh, and that's going to provide the baseline from which to then start working on our individual constitutions.
2: This brings to mind a term that I think is floating around the professional athlete realm recently, biohacking. Have you heard that word before? This yeah, sounds like I've, the I've, original biohacking
0: <laughs> you said it i've 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 um yeah, I've joked with my mentor around this of like, yeah, it's like five thousand year old bio biohacking. <laughs> or if you like, coming into, so they have a term for this in Ayurveda. It's called Dinacharya,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which basically means daily routine or going with the flow of the day, following mm-hmm. the energy of the day.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, these three energies, this watery, earthy kapha, fiery water pitta, and airy, spacey vata, those three energies cycle through the 24-hour clock twice. Mm-hmm. And as you can probably speculate and imagine, there are certain activities that are going to go well with those energies when they're prevalent. And there's others that are going to kind of be going counter to the flow
3: mm.
0: and, um, and less generative, let's say. Mm. So as well as this being biohacking, basically coming back into alignment with circadian rhythm, it's also, you know, another cool term out there for the last few years is rewilding, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, let's face it, we've all become pretty domesticated as human beings over the last at least 200 years, if not more. Mm-hmm and so much of what's ailing the human race these days is being out of alignment with the natural world from which we actually sprung mm. um, which yoga tells us we are part of there is no separation from between who we are and what everything else is
3: mm-hmm.
0: and so ayurveda dinacharya this Coming back into alignment with the energies of the day is a rewilding process, which, yes, yeah, some would certainly see as a biohacking process.
2: Well, and if it's been around for 5,000 years, there's probably some legitimacy to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's just recorded. It's probably been around longer than
2: that. Yeah, and,
0: You know, humans have known. I mean, just as an example, you know, let's say, and that this is a, a real key thing that we'll get more into. So let's say, so... The time of day that's considered pitta time, and pitta is fire and water. So you can think of fire and water as like your hot digestive juices. Mm. This is when you think that's going to be up. It's, that's be, can, considered to be between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, when the fire in the belly is up, the sun in the sky is up, mm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So stands to reason that this is the best time of day to take in the bulk of your nutrition Mm. for the day. Mm -hmm. That's when the body is going to be best able to handle whatever you put into it and Mm. make the best use of it. Mm. Whereas, you know, if we try to eat our biggest meal of the day when it's kapha time, where we've got earth and water predominant and they're cooling and all they want to do is just kind of kick back and melt and cool down and solidify, you throw a big meal into yourself while that energy is predominant, you're not gonna get the best use out of your digestive system and there's gonna mm-hmm. be a lot of knock on effects
3: mm-hmm.
0: that are you know that are gonna show up if we continue to do that habitually. If we get if we're out of sync.
2: It makes logical sense for sure.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Um one yeah. thing yeah. I did come across Again, I don't know if this is just uh, what I'm consuming, (laughs) if this is why I'm being given this on my social media feeds, Uh, but a lot of conversations regarding concerns about the diet focus in the Ayurveda lifestyle and uh, how it's not necessarily congruent with a body-positive image um, and it's not necessarily sustainable. Can, Can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, to me that sort of touches back towards when people learn a little bit about what their constitution is, All of a sudden it starts to become this restrictive process of do's and don'ts. Mm. Oh, well, I'm a pitta, so I can't eat these types of foods and enjoy this kind of activity. i got to kind of tend myself more towards opposing things. You know, where that is true to a point, people tend to take that and start to use it like a hammer. Mm. You know, and it's like it becomes this very much prohibitive practice. And, uh, oh, I'm, you know, I'm bad if I'm not doing it properly. And that's that to me where, yeah, the way the way it's applied could become problematic in that sense. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, in that it's 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 kind of this you can only do it if you're prepared to be restrictive. And if not, you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? That's not it at all. We're talking about coming into alignment with what's already there around us.
2: So if we want to make a comparison to a yoga posture, then you don't always need to be in perfect, ideal alignment to get something out of the posture. Even if your posture is not perfect, you're going to get something from it. So is that a comparison you could draw?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, what's the intention of the practice? What's Mm -hmm. the spirit of the practice? How can we align with that without, yeah, being restrictive or prohibitive and so on?
2: Well, it sounds like a much more reasonable lifestyle than my initial perception. So I'm really excited to learn more on Sunday when you're chatting about it. Uh, and, uh. Yeah, discover a little bit more. And for those of you who are listening before Sunday, the 27th, um, we do still have space in the studio, but we will also be broadcasting it online, I believe, now that I'm saying that. I, believe, I just want... yeah. Cool. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so you can join in online. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to learn a little bit more. I think our plan right now is to do a follow-up episode with you at one point and sort of expand on some of the things you talk about, bring a little more information to our community. And I'm super excited to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm really looking forward to really just conveying how you know we can use what we, the basics of Ayurveda, to come more into alignment with the world around us,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and therefore more in alignment with sort of balanced health and a more anti-inflammatory style lifestyle.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I want to point out how Ayurveda is sort of designed to sort support people's yoga practice
2: mm-hmm.
0: and to inform people's yoga practice. So the that, yogis stay, you know, as you said.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and no, it's a lot of fun. There'll be a lot of time to answer. It's a it's a fairly sh- short presentation that'll leave uh, plenty of room at the end for people to to jump in and and ask questions and discuss.
2: Sounds perfect. <laughs> Okay. So what does this practice of Ayurveda look like beyond the workshop setting? Is it sort of like, you know, if I'm sick, I would go to my Western medicine doctor and be given a prescription and and follow up a month later. What what does it look like in reality? And what sort of tools um, and uh, opportunities do you have available for our listeners beyond the workshop on Sunday?
0: Yeah. So the way I work with it is um, in the role as a health coach, basically. And the, the means through which I do that is by coaching people and guiding people into a series of habits that basically form that daily routine yeah. that we're talking about and starts to you know form that alignment that we want to come into with with the mm-hmm. energies of the day as they shift and change in a cycle
3: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah it, it's a great way for people to you know coming into alignment with what's what their body is designed to do in the environment really helps people start to resolve sort of minor issues around their digestion, around their sleep, general inflammation, and it, it just basically starts to provide a sort of elevated baseline of general health. Let's mm-hmm. say um, I'm certainly not an Ayurvedic practitioner in the in the in the realm of prescribing people things. I'm coaching people into lifestyle changes.
2: Mm. With uh, influence from the Ayurvedic uh, practices.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I work with a system that's distilled this Dinacharya daily routines down into 10 clear habits. Hmm. And um, I bring together groups of people who we basically go through the process together of, of learning these habits, refining them, and slowly over the course of weeks and months together, making them sort of automated habits in our lives so that we're not even you know we get we can get to the point where we're not even thinking about or trying to even make the effort to do these things we're just we have them incorporated and, uh, and experiencing the, the benefits
2: we're more in tune well, with how are. we're existing in the world and how to um accentuate that yeah, yeah. so exactly what you're saying yeah. is you're not just going to come and give us a talk and leave us high and dry there are services available beyond that workshop and uh we can connect with you yeah for for, for anyone
0: who's i don't know feels to look into it a little bit deeper there'll be in, there'll be an opportunity to um, sign up for a free call with me at some point in the following two weeks after the we talk where we can um, talk about what people's individual challenges are around their lifestyle
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, how they might proceed in, in
2: uh, evolving that well that sounds amazing okay. yeah
1: yeah it yeah, sounds really good so yeah, thanks, Jeff, for uh, your time this afternoon. Uh, uh, you talked about some really good points here, and we're really looking forward to uh, to having you in the studio, uh, studio for your talk. So,
0: Thank you so much, Stephen and Karen. Yeah, it's been great to meet you both.
3: Yeah, um, you as well. It's been really fun to
0: do this. And, yeah, I look forward to meeting everybody in person next week and those of you who are going to come online. Yeah, I can't wait to come and see the studio for the first time.
2: Yes, we're we're excited to have you and we're excited to connect more for a future episode for all our listeners. If there's something specific you're curious about that you'd like us to do a follow up episode on, make sure you shout that out to us on social media or email or by giving us a call at the studio or on your mat after class. Uh, And we will do our best to accommodate that.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Thanks again, Jeff. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. We are incredibly grateful to have you join us to the end of this episode. If you want to share your experience and deepen your connection with our community, we would love to have you join us as a guest. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. See you on the mat.